When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Realistic Randy is one of the OG callers into Vikings that line. And now, he's one of the biggest Vikings YouTube superstars on Earth. His Vikings pain is now your game. This is Realistic Randy Rants with Randy and Declan on Purple Daily and Score North. Football. Ah, yes. Realistic Randy Rants. It's back. Week two. Week two of Realistic Randy Rants with Declan here. We just, this is part of the Purple Daily Podcast Network, of course. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die. Uh, my guy Randy here to talk some Vikings camp thoughts, some Herb Smith, some Garrett Bradbury. Plenty of There's only been like one week of practice, Randy, in like classic, classic Vikings fashion. We have like so many external hilarious things to talk about and overreact to, maybe underreact to uh, throughout the first week of camp. Well, if you're talking about overreacting, I'm the perfect man for it. (laughs) I want to start with this offensive line. I hate, quite honestly, I'm tired that we have to talk about this every year for what seems like the last 10 plus years. The offensive line, same old song and dance. However, there are some good things to be optimistic about if you're a Vikings fan. So the offensive tackles, Brian O'Neill, as great as he is, continues to get better every single year. The leg kick out that he does creates such a wide base for himself that it's almost impossible to get around him. And as great as he is, I would say he's at his best when he does the arm extensions on an island by himself. It reminds me of like on Family Guy, Buff Stewie Griffin, where Brian is trying to get past him. (laughs) Just mirroring him left and right. And it's one of those things to where I would say, Brian O'Neill, after Justin Jefferson, he's up there as far as putting together the best individual film on the team. He's that damn good. And Christian Derisaw is the opposite. Brian O'Neill, extension of the arms. Christian Derisaw, he tussles up close. He's not afraid to get after it. It reminds me of a bouncer throwing out a drunk. You know how he lifts them up by the chest, just get the hell up out of here, and throws them out the front door? That's Christian Derisaw. Derisaw destroys souls, whereas Brian O'Neill, after about three quarters, if I'm an edge rusher going up against O'Neill, I'm saying to myself, oh, man, come on, let me get through one time. They're the opposite, but they're both equally great. And then you've got the interior offensive line, which to where I say insert whatever circus music you want, it explains (laughs) it perfectly. Right guard. I don't think there's really – any question that Jesse Davis is going to be the starter. I talked about this earlier to where Ed Ingram, he's getting first team reps, but that's only been happening to where Jesse Davis has a planned day off or earlier in camp. He was injured 
suffered some sort of nick in the right knee, and he was out for that practice, but that's really it. I won't take that seriously until I see some sort of report saying that Jesse Davis, he's working with the second-team offensive line, to whereas Ingram, he's working with the first team. Then I'll say, all right, maybe we have something here. And then you have Garrett Bradbury, who I don't think there's any question, arguably the worst at his <laughs> position in the National Football League. So as great as the bookends are, Derisaw and O'Neal, offensive line as a whole, I think we're looking at more of the same that we've seen the last 10 plus years. It's kind of weird that they have two like legitimate solidified tackles, right? Like it's hard to find one good tackle and the Vikings look like they have two damn good tackles, right? Like we'll see if Christian Derrissaw is who he is, who took a big step forward once he was in the, once he got on the field last year and judging by everyone talking about him at camp, the dude's ready to be like that monster and that damn good left tackle that the Vikings have lacked for, for a long time now. So it's, it's kind of frustrating because you have two like twin towers essentially on your tackles, yeah. right? And Derisaw and Brian O'Neill, and the guards. You know, maybe circus music. Uh, I don't know if it's. You, I know what you're saying. Where it's just like, who wants to play guard this week, right? Like, who wants to play guard this season? I should say. And now Ezra Cleveland, I have some questions about, but you know what? I don't think he's like a liability. I don't think he's going to be a world beater either. But he's fine, right? Like he's an established guard. Hopefully, it'll turn out to have a nice little NFL career. They kind of threw a bunch of bleep against the wall for the right guard position. Jesse Davis seems like that stickiest one who's probably going to stick there and should probably be your right guard um, on, on week one. But Garrett Bradbury, you, you, you mentioned you know, that Christian Darrisar reminds you of picking up the drunk guy out of the crowd and, and throwing him out. Like, that. well, that, Randy, that's me. I'm 140 pounds, like, soaking wet. So, so I can easily be picked up and thrown out of a bar, no problem, uh, especially when I've had too many. But... I, I want to play a little bit of a game with you throughout this episode, and we'll actually you kind of segue it with with Garrett Bradbury. I want panic meter. I'm going to do a little j- classic Judd Zolgad here, a little bit of a panic meter here. On a scale of one to ten, how concerned are you with the Vikings' starting center position? Because if Kevin O'Connell's saying it's an open comp, right? Like open competition for an offense that's ready to be like we have been talking about top ten next year. Now, you might say, well, it's just one little offensive position. No, it's center. It's, it's probably one of the smartest people on the football field. Bradbury's been bullied uh, throughout his first few years as, as a starting center for the Vikings. So I'm curious, 10 being the most panic sound, all the alarms, nuclear war is intimate, DEFCON 1, that's number 10. Or is it number 1? It's not that big of a deal. Give me your panic meter for the Garrett Bradbury and just the starting center position in general for the Vikings. It's a 10 only because that's the max. I think, quite frankly, the scale is broken as far as panic is concerned. And it's interesting because the front office and the coaching staff, I understand that there's a new regime in town, but correct me if I'm wrong, Declan, but everybody has film on everybody in the league. We know exactly what Garrett Bradbury brings to the table, which is not much at all. And the way they went about approaching OTAs and training camp, Garrett Bradbury, oh, he's a starter. There's nothing to talk about. We're just going to put him in position to where he can succeed. And I'm just saying to myself, how is that even possible? He's center. He can't go anywhere. If a defensive tackle wants to line up nose to nose with him, there's nothing he can do about it. He gets zero lift off the snap. Sometimes Sometimes he's late on that. And he has zero strength. How the hell have you had three off seasons to work on your strength, build up some sort of mass, some sort of bulk, and he comes in the same, arguably lighter each and every year? I don't understand how that's possible. But what I will say is, Kevin O'Connell, you mentioned it. 
he acknowledged that this is a center competition now. I think he went into this saying, well, you know what, Garrett Bradbury, he's going to be fine. And then Harrison Phillips just blew him out the water in practice. I think he saw that up front and said, okay, we have to do something here. So I appreciate the fact that they've acknowledged that there's a problem better late than never because compare that to the previous regime, whereas guys like Matt Khalil, so on and so forth, TJ Clemmings, oh, it's going to be fine. You witness this, everything's going to be fine, and they come up with reasons for why their poor performance isn't so bad. So at least they're saying to themselves, we need to make some sort of change here if this continues. And it's, it's, it's funny because I became a Vikings fan in 2000. From that point up until, I want to say, the second year of Matt Khalil, after his rookie year where he was a pro bowler, mm-hmm. I did not take offensive linemen seriously at all. It's a bunch of fat guys. Who cares? And then I noticed, and you know, I realize now I was spoiled as a fan. We had great players, Steve Hutchinson, Phil Lodeholt, Bryant McKinney, Matt Burke, just didn't care. But then the second year of Matt Khalil, I said to myself, man, coincidentally, all these quarterback hits, these sacks, these pressures, these TFLs are coming from his side, 75. I went from watching football from where most fans, I think they look at the game of football from the broad camera view, the ball snaps goes to the quarterback, whether he hands it off to the running back or he passes it downfield, you follow the camera wherever it goes. Matt Khalil changed the way that I watch football from that point on to where I was locked in on 75. Can you hold up your block? Every single snap. I didn't know what the hell was going on with the quarterback. Can you hold up your block? Just, kind of being antsy, much like kids playing double Dutch in grade school. All right, come on, can you just hold up your block? And from that point on, ever since then, there's always been one offensive lineman with the starting unit to where I say to myself, when it comes to the front office and coaching staff, you can't be serious right now playing this guy. And that guy right now is Garrett Bradbury. I like the fact that they've at least said, maybe we need to make some sort of change. It, I think it's fixable. I don't think they did enough heading into OTAs and training camp. J.C. Treader is out there. I don't care about his knee issues and all. The alternative is Garrett Bradbury. Chris Reed, if he can figure out how to hike the ball without any issues, maybe that's going to be okay. But, man, I think we're in for a long season. I think the Vikings can at least – I think they can win in spite of Bradbury – but the game of football is tough enough baseline things being all equal. You don't want to set yourself up for an automatic disadvantage. And you're doing that. If you do end up starting Garrett Bradbury at center, your offensive line, you touched on this is basically a weak link situation. Where's the wink leak on the chain, right? Like what? Yeah. We just talked about the tackles, right? You got two guys in the middle of that chain that are damn good. That can block and they're fine. The guys in, in the middle in the guards, they're Okay. You could probably penetrate. You can probably get through to them, but you know they're they should mostly hold their own because their tackles are going to help them out too. That center's the weakest position. Like Kenny Clark for the Packers could potentially just have Garrett Bradbury for breakfast, lunch, and dinner when they square off in Week One, and other players too. Other uh, that the Vikings t- teams the Vikings face throughout the season are going to definitely send pressure right up the middle. And to your point, I grew up. I became a Vikings fan right in 2002. That was like my first conscious season was was that 41 donut year. Unfortunately. I was like eight, nine years old. And to your point, I never really took 
offensive line seriously, probably till around that same period when I became like in freshman or sophomore in college, started understanding things a little bit more, wasn't looking at football like a Madden game like I like I used to do as a kid. Uh, and then I realized, oh man, like Matt Khalil is not as good as they used to be. Like Phil, like th- they miss Phil Lodeholt, they miss the Steve Hutchinson. They don't have an established offensive line anymore, and teams are are getting after that. It's kind of like when you and I talked about last week that there was for years the Vikings' defensive line was so damn good that over the last two years we kind of like when they said, oh, the run defense is it fixed? We were like, oh, well, who cares? It's run defense. But then the issue's in your face, and you're like, oh yeah, no, this is a significant issue, and you got to clean it up. Go sign Harrison Phillips, hopefully. It plugs a lot of those holes, but the offensive line, that one little piece with Garrett Bradbury struggling and the Vikings offense never routinely being in the top 10, despite having so many great playmakers that it should be in the top 10, that one center position is definitely a chemical X situation where it can derail you from being a top 10 offense. Like what they were 11th in points or 14th in points last year. They're 11th in 2020. They've been on the fringe of being a top 10 having an established, really good center pushes you into the top 10. That's the last piece there, right? It's not like you're trying to find another wide receiver. It's not like you're trying to find a stud running back or you're, you're just throwing blanks at quarterback. All those other positions are established for the Vikings. So you brought up J.C. Treader's name. Um, he's still out there as a free agent. And if you were Kwesi Adopa Mensa, Randy, what I'm gathering here is you would pick up that phone right away and at least try to make an offer of something to bring J.C. Treader here to the Vikings. Is that correct? I would have made the offer to J.C. Treader about six weeks ago, two months ago. The fact that this is still going on, how has the call not been made? And the fact that J.C. Treader is still out there, great. You can get him on the cheap. I'm assuming that not many teams are bringing him in for a workout or are interested in him because he's still a free agent. Make the call. What's the problem right now? Because the alternative is this guy who gets zero lift off the snap of the ball he has no strength whatsoever. Every picture that I – there was that picture where they were at Target Center, Brian O'Neill and Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph looked like a left guard next to Bradbury, and I'm not trying to reverse body shame the dude. He looks fantastic as far as an offensive lineman post-retirement. They lose a ton of weight. Man, you look good. He's still an active center in the National Football League. Nothing is going to change with this guy. He's Matt Khalil with a better attitude. You need to call in as many bodies as you can. I'm at the point with Quasi Adolfo Mensa. You need to, you need to search a hundred mile radius within the Twin Cities, <laughs> yeah. Minneapolis. Go to every gym facility that you can find, and anybody that you see doing bench presses, just bring them in for a workout. What's the worst that you can lose? Nothing, because this guy is guaranteed. If there's anything that's going to screw this season. It's him. You can't, when it comes to Bradbury, knowing who he is, you can't leave a piece of cake on your kitchen floor and then get mad when you see a colony of ants the next morning. (laughs) This is your own doing. Garrett Bradbury is terrible, and he needs to go. Yeah, I think Judd signed off a Purple Daily on Sunday after Phil and him did an emergency episode saying his last words were, if you can hike a ball, please call the Vikings. Like, And, and to, yeah. your, to, to your point, go, like, is there, if there's any UDFA that still lives in the Twin Cities that had some college football or any type of UFL, USFL, CFL experience, please give a call to the Vikings. Last thing I think on this offensive line issue for me, and it's not to say that JC, it's too late for JC Treader to, to come here, but football I think is the one sport, unlike baseball, 
or hockey and even basketball to agree that when when a trade happens midseason, right? Like trade deadlines are always really exciting in those three other favorite sports, and you can kind of plug and play someone, and it's mostly going to be a hit. They're mostly going to fit in to their offensive and defensive scheme for the most part. Football is such like, and this is where we underestimate it. Football is such a complicated sport that learning a new offense like that overnight, and especially with what now we're about a month before the season starting, like that's an uphill battle for anyone to attain. Now. J.C. Treader is like a former pro bowler and a pro and center is one of those positions where you have to have an intellectual dude. And do I think J.C. Treader is capable of stepping in towards the last minute in the 11th hour and learning a system? Yes, I do. But I also believe it's not a little too late, but time has enough time has ticked away here that it's been three or four months. We're five months into the offseason here. So if J.C. Treader is now that far behind the playbook, how quickly can he pick things up? And I think that's where I have the trepidations of, yeah, bring him in because I, I agree that anyone else basically is better than Garrett Bradbury. But I think sometimes we underestimate, especially in football, how complicated it is to step in and learn new systems and be plugged and played like that. So that I think that's my only fear of why it wouldn't happen is because J.C. Treader is basically behind the eight ball figuratively right now. But then the alternative is, well, Garrett Bradbury, he knows the system, but he's a terrible player. And <laughs> yeah. J.C. Treader is at least... He's a veteran. He has experience. He's intelligent as hell. I think he is one of those few guys, whereas the center position, you not you have to not only be able to snap the ball effectively, you have to call the protection schemes, pre-snap. There's so much to it, much more than just blocking your guy up front, that I think J.C. Trutter is the perfect guy to bring in to be able to take over right now. And I understand he didn't practice much at all last season, but he still played damn near every single game. So whatever yoga stretches he's doing while everyone else is practicing or what meditation or whatever the hell he's doing, it's good enough for us because the flip side is Garrett Bradbury, he knows the system, everything's great, but then he gets routinely forklifted off the line of scrimmage. Bring somebody else in at this point. You have nothing to lose. Transitioning to the tight end position, Randy, we were talking about last week how excited we were to watch Herb Smith Jr., right? We, he was going to step in, finally healthy now. And then I think like the next day or even that same day we recorded this episode, the dude tore a ligament in his thumb of all things. He has a cast on. Kevin O'Connell's hopeful that he can be back for week one, but clearly he's going to be sidelined here for the majority of the rest of training camp. I'm going to go back to this panic meter here. Herb Smith's injury, one through ten, where do you fall on the panic meter of that? I'm going to give it an eight. I think this is a big deal. And I understand that he is optimistic. We expect him to be ready for week one. But there's two things here with me. And I'm actually going to dismiss one of them. The first being that it is Irv. He missed all of last season. So any sort of injury attached to this guy, the automatic reaction is, ooh, I don't know about that. So I'm going to go ahead and dismiss that, the bias there. The second, I think, is a real concern. If we're talking about a lineman, whether offensive or defensive lineman, they injure their thumb, or in the case of Jason Pierre-Paul playing with fireworks, he loses a couple of fingers, put a club on them, they can still do their job just fine. That's one thing. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about a pass-catching tight end. You have to be able to catch the football. The thumb is required. There's two types of passes. There's the one where the quarterback delivers the vertical pass to where if you're a pass-catching weapon on offense, you have to go up for it, jump up, and come down with the football. 
Those types of passes are more often than not gentle on the hands. Then there's the second type of pass, the laser darts over the middle, straight to the chest type of passes, even if you have to extend your body horizontally, left or right of the shoulder, those the equivalent of a quarterback throwing a 90-mile-an-hour fastball upon impact, the hands, the fingers, the thumbs, they're taking some high-heat impact right there. If your thumb isn't 100%, basically for Irv, as strong as it was before the injury, there's a problem right there because any little thing can throw it off. And quite honestly, because of last year's injury where he was out all season 2021, I refuse to get excited about this guy and his potential availability until I actually see him on the football field. Yeah, so my panic meter for this one is actually a little lower than yours. I actually have it at a 5 out of 10. So, and okay. I, th- I think the reason it's a five is, is, is a couple. Number one, the Vikings' offensive weapons are established, right? Like, we, they have two or to three very good wide receivers. KJ Osborne's again having even a better camp. The dude might even have a better year than Adam Thielen at this rate with the way he's being hyped up. They have an established running back, right? Kirk Cousins, I know what I'm getting out of him. So, like, the wealth that goes around to all the weapons, I'm okay with. However, I think the, the cause for concern is there's really no viable option behind him. When they lost Herb Smith last year, Hey, Tyler Conklin's not the same athlete, but he's been working his butt off. He's been in the system a while. He had caught some passes, and he kind of thought, all right, downgrade, but doesn't shipwreck that position group, right? Like Tyler Conklin went out, and we had a good free agency. He got paid, good for him, and and that's good. That's good on him. But now the Vikings have to rely on Zach Davidson, a Division II standout. And even though your boy is a Division II uh, graduate himself from St. Cloud State, that doesn't really uh, give me a whole lot of room for optimism. Johnny Munt from the L.A. Rams is just some guy at this rate. So I I would have some cause for concern there, but it doesn't scare me as much because the Vikings, I think, have enough weapons to make up for it. I, I The curiosity of how Herb Smith, a healthy Herb Smith, was going to fit in this offense, that was the fun part, right? Like That was where... How does this guy going to get all the targets and help stretch the field? You know, he had that great rookie year, and we kind of thought, man, they're going to have that next Travis Kelsey, right? They're going to have someone who is basically elevating themselves into that top elite echelon of tight ends because in reality, there's really only like three to four really, really above average, game-changing tight ends. And then the parity, you know, if you were to rank, and this falls in fantasy football all the time, like the seventh tight end and the 15th best starting tight end. There's a lot of parity there. Like, I'm not trying to say the 15th and the 7th are they going to get the same draft value, but it's not going to shipwreck your team either. So I think the tight end position on the Vikings in its group is the kind of the cause for concern. But, I mean, I wanted to see him blossom. So it's more like disappointing to me seeing him get like this injury just like he did in training camp last year and now we don't kind of see how he gets to blossom in Kevin O'Connell's offense so it's a five out of ten for me I see what you're saying as far as the three receivers you have nothing to worry about Jefferson Thielen and KJ Osborne but the problem there is that Irv Smith Jr. was to be paired along with that you've essentially eliminated the tight end position as a whole when it comes to the plays that you're going to call at this point you're better off having C.J. Ham out there right. with the amount of reps that your tight ends would have gotten because after Irv Smith Jr., I was sitting here banging on the doors, go sign Kyle Rudolph, go sign some someone as a legit tight end too to where in case Irv gets hurt, okay, you have an experienced guy there. Now we're talking about potentially maybe if he doesn't start, 
my God, you're talking about eliminating a whole position. Ben Ellison, Johnny Munt had one good pass that everyone raised hell about. Then you have Zach Davison. He had a practice. None of them have been consistent. I don't trust any of those guys on the football field. CJ Ham, he had against, was it? Oh, I can't remember correctly, but I think it was against the Carolina Panthers. There was that one deep play to him. Yeah. If that's who you're going to rely on to take up the snaps at tight end, not to say that he's going to line up at tight end, but line up as fullback to take the snaps away from the tight end position, that's a little bit of cause for concern for me because Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, K.J. Osborne, with Irv Smith Jr. is a reason why ESPN had the Vikings with having the fourth best group of playmakers Mm -hmm. in the league. Take him away from that. Man, that's a lot of pressure on this offense. So Eric Ebron still r- remains a free agent out there. He was he was pretty damn good with the Colts a few years back. Won a Pro Bowl, spent some time with the Lions too. Last year, uh, spent some uh, spent the last two seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Does Eric Ebron do anything for you? Is that someone you would also potentially like to bring in? I think he worked out for the Giants too, like two weeks ago. So he still is obviously looking for work. I'm all for Eric Ebron or Jesse James. I am treating the tight end position now like I am center. You need anybody that knows what the hell they're doing baseline at that position. Because the alternative is, we mentioned the guys behind Herb, assuming that he was healthy to begin with, there's nothing there. You need some sort of viable option to where fill in, get maybe two or three catches a game, and we're set. You put in any of these guys, Munt, Ellison, Davidson, I don't trust. At that point, it's a handicap match, 10 on 11. You're putting yourself at a disadvantage along with, especially if you still start Garrett Bradbury. My God, it's nine on 11 at that point. You're further digging yourself into a hole that you don't need to do. Eric Ebron or Jesse James, sign one of those dudes right now. You have 10 million in cap. Yeah. Sign somebody. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it at all. If it came down to Ebron or JC Treader, you only get one of them. Which one would you choose? JC Treader. Yeah, I think no I'd go Treader too. No problem. Pretty yeah, easy. CJ Ham. I'm good with him. Uh, sticking on the offense with this panic meter. So we obviously know Kirk Cousins. And disclaimer, Kirk Cousins is the starting quarterback. Kirk Cousins is the starting quarterback. I'm not suggesting that they go out and get someone else to succeed Kirk Cousins. But the backup competition right now between Kellen Mond and Sean Mannion. Kellen Mond showing some athletic nice throws, but still not all there yet offensively. Starting to learn the new scheme. Sean Mannion is basically a coach. Like He's going to be on this roster for whatever reason because Kirk loves him so much and he understands the playbook and he helps him out in the quarterback room. Okay, whatever. But clearly there's still a need. There's still a void at, at, at the QB2 position. No one has that in pen yet. Give me your panic meter on the backup quarterback situation. Yeah, it's not as established as you know the, the starting tight end or potentially the starting center that we've talked about earlier this episode. But what's your panic meter on the options behind Kirk Cousins? I'm at a one because I just don't give a damn anymore. The way that the Vikings, between two regimes so far, the way that they... And I don't, I don't want... To seem like I'm being negative this whole episode. I think the Vikings can win 11 games this season despite the problems that they have. But I got to call it like I see it. The way that they've treated the backup quarterback position for at least the last four years, the spirit has been beaten the hell out of me to where there's, I think there are only, what, four players that have the top notch upper echelon, greatest job security in the league. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Sean Mannion. I don't understand how this guy 
continues to get a job. Like you said, he seems more like a coach to me based off of all of the positives that have been spoken about him. Because when it comes to playing football, forget the fact that preseason in years past, we saw it last year against the Packers. All right, this is your time to shine. Everybody's been talking a lot of stuff about him. You're an idiot, Randy. Sean Manny, he brings so much experience to the table. We saw exactly who he is as a player to where the fact that they brought him back. I have no doubt in my mind, and going to Kellen Mond, which is very disappointing because the the QB2 competition has been so inconsistent that either one of the two players, they're having a great day or they're having a crappy day. And Kellen Mond, along with Wyatt Davis, you're talking about two wasted third-round picks last year that I feel like Sean Mannion is going to win the job if for nothing else experience. He's been in the league longer, but that's very disappointing, and I, I just don't care anymore. I've seen enough reasons to why the Vikings will come up for some reason, for whatever the hell, Sean Mannion, he's the best person for the job, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Phil, Ma- Phil Mackey touted this guy last season on Purple After Dark, brought up Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. And I said, you have lost your mind. And he brought him up as a starter to replace Kirk Cousins. Oh, well, if the Niners release him lower cap hit, you can spread the cap room all around. Jimmy Garoppolo is nowhere close to the quarterback that Kirk Cousins is. However, if the Niners do end up releasing him, you can sign him on the cheap. I would like him as a QB, too. That's assuming they make a move. But if they don't, if it's Mon or Mannion, I'm assuming it's Mannion. I just don't care anymore. That's why my panic meter is at a one. So it, this is an interesting one because as I, as I previewed it to you, like it's, it's QB2. In all intents and purposes, he's not going to touch the field. Now, Kirk has been an Iron Man in his career. He, shockingly, knock on wood, has not missed any time as a Vikings starting quarterback outside of the Green Bay game due to COVID. He sat out the re- regular season finale in 2019 and the, they had a playoff spot locked up. Um, but I have five names here, technically four, but five names here, Randy. And I want you to rank them one through five. I'll give you mine, and then I'll, I'll let you kind of d- decipher how you want to go about this. So five options for the backup quarterback position for the Vikings right now. So one, one of them is the internal option of Kellen Mond, Sean Mannion. Just loop that as, as one option, okay? Sure. The other ones, because these are quarterbacks that are kind of in a competition right now. Um, none of them are free agents, but you could make a case that whoever wins the starting job with their respective teams, they could listen for trade offers. So these other quarterbacks' names that I have written down, Geno Smith, Drew Locke, Sam Darnold, Gardner Minshew. Of those four options, which one of those intrigues you the most? For me, Gardner's number one, I believe. Like he, he's, he, he's the youngest, and he also, he's one of the youngest guys, and he's also had experience starting games, won some big games, won a big game for Philly last year when, when Jalen Hurts went out, right? Um, Drew Locke, someone who... I kind of have a, a weird obsession with, but at the same time, started some games, can start a game in a pinch, maybe can get you a win if he had to. Um, and then Geno Smith and Sam Darnold, like, eh, I would, I would prefer to find other options out there. But those are some names to me that I wouldn't mind if the Vikings made a last-minute trade, because I think especially someone like Drew Locke, Gardner, Minshew, again, on the disclaimer, if they had to start, not to succeed Kirk Cousins, not to take his job, but if Kirk does get hurt, knock on wood, or does have to miss time, I do feel good if it's a one-off situation that a Drew Locke or a Gardner Minshew could steal me a game late in the season. I'm with you on number one. 
after that, that's where we disagree. Gardner Minshew, to me, is the clear-cut number one favorite among the options that you mentioned because he provides that Case Keenum factor. He can provide a spark off the bench to where if you need him, if you are in a position to where you need to win some games, and Kirk, and to Kirk's credit, you mentioned this earlier, the man is super durable. So thankfully, knock on wood, we don't have to even – entertain this as a possibility but on the chance that we do Gardner Minshew is number one this guy provides a spark and he can win you a couple of games you mentioned Drew Locke and number two I'm going with Sam Darnold and I don't even feel good about that it's just I don't think Drew Locke can provide you anything but Sam Darnold I think he has he has the bigger upside to Drew Locke if you want to go that route now granted when we played Carolina last year before that game, if I'm not mistaken, Donald was looking pretty good. Then from our game on, he was pretty crappy. And going back to the Jets, when he played for the Jets, there was the mic that got picked up, and I hate that for him where he said, I'm seeing ghosts out there. I think he's still that same player with the New York Jets, and Baker Mayfield should beat him for QB1. And quite honestly, third down to five, I'll say five is the Manny and Mon combo. I guess I'll go Drew Locke at three just because Geno Smith, my God, go ahead and put him at four. I don't trust him at all. So really, overall, is Gardner Minshew for me and everyone else. Sam Darnold, if you got to get him in a pinch, okay, fine. But again, my panic meter for QB2 is at one that I really don't give a damn. So, uh, and I didn't give my panic meter for this, but my, my panic meter is, yeah, it's it's a two. Like, it, okay. it's it's... Again, not something that the Vikings should have to rely on, but also the Vikings historian in me remembers that how many times have the Vikings had to turn to a backup QB option, whether because of poor performance or to injuries, and all of a sudden, things end up working out for them that season, right? Like Case Keenum, obviously, is the shining example. Randall Cunningham came off the street and basically won, nearly won the MVP award and was the Offensive Player of the Year, right? Gus Ferrat still led the team to some some wins here and there. That they weren't a train wreck without him. The Vikings were certainly built differently with Gus Ferrat leaving the team than they currently are constructed. But there's been Jeff George has even stepped in. Brad Johnson might be even your your George Washington who's done it like twice for the Vikings, right? So the historian in me tells like, oh wait a minute, remember like there's been backup quarterbacks that you didn't think had any chance of being the week one starter, and then all of a sudden they get brought in last minute or they get brought in by default because of there's an injury and ineffectiveness. And they actually ended up being a lot a lot better than we all still thought they were going to be. So, yes, it's not a panic meter significantly, but I do think having a like little decent insurance plan behind Kirk is not the worst thing. And if Kellen Mond hasn't progressed the way we liked him to be, well, then I would, by the end of camp, look for someone either on the trade market to potentially come in and be QB2. That's all. Everyone but... Joe Webb, as far as going back to backup quarterbacks, everyone but Joe Webb. Yeah, that's the one guy going into the playoffs against the Packers to where the only time I said in my life, my God, I wish Christian Ponder were here to play. Right. I felt like he had a chance to win that game. But you're right, man. QB2, the way they've gone about it, it's just one of those things. Any sort of competency at that position, I feel like we have a chance just because when it comes to the weapons that we have on offense, as long as you have someone that understands the fun, fundamental level at playing the quarterback position, thrown to those guys is a luxury. They basically make more room for error for you as a quarterback. You throw it to them, they'll make up for the mistakes, especially Justin Jefferson, who 
You mentioned this last week. I've mentioned this before. If we are going to compare him to any sort of great receivers, it is Randy Moss. I'm not going to say that he is that guy, but just in the fact that you throw the ball up to him, you're surprised when he doesn't come down with the football just because of his way to ad lib his way to make that reception. As long as you have someone that just doesn't screw up, which is why I mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo or you mentioned Gardner Minshew, I'd feel a lot better about Minshew opposed to Garoppolo. But after that, I mean, my God, Sam Darnold, I guess, is the floor. After that, we're talking about Geno Smith or Drew Locke or Mannion. We saw it last year or Kellen Mond. That's where it's just, okay, throw the whole season in the trash. I would say that the floor and ceiling of that backup QB house the, the, it's 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 still a rambler, right? It's a one floor. There's just maybe a couple more square footage with some of those options than, than other ones. Like you're still going to get the same house, man. It's not going to be a great home. It's a one story home. It, it, there, there's you know where the ceiling is, you know where the floor is. Uh, but yes, I think that's that's kind of a, a good a, a indication of where they would be if it was a Gardner Minshew versus a Geno Smith. You know, Randy, we, we were doing panic meter, and obviously we're, we're still optimistic about this team. So before we wrap up, what was was there something in training camp this last week? I'll put you on the spot here a little bit. Was there something in training camp that you saw, whether you read it or watched a highlight or, or was consuming anything over the last week that had you really optimistic just about something that was really that stood out to you that you really liked about uh, from Vikings training camp so far? Ed Ingram, to me, seems like, based on reports, is someone that is really getting after it, has been putting guys on their asses, everything you want to see from a starting offensive lineman. And I felt really good about him when the Vikings selected him in this past draft at LSU. And I talked about this this morning. With the bookends offensive tackles that we have, they're both nasty. They both have attitudes. Whereas the interior, we have a bunch of all shucks guys. And not to say that you can't be successful doing that, but if you have an attitude behind your play, hey, the more the better. Ed Ingram provides that. And I think he's listed as 6'3", 307. So not necessarily massive, but he just moves massively to where if I'm an oncoming defender, a would-be tackler, and I see this guy approaching me, I'm saying, oh boy, I'm going to have some problems to deal with. I think if they give him some snaps with the first team offensive line, he can have his opportunity to shine. I mentioned the interior offensive line, I think, is fixable center and right guard. Jesse Davis, the jury is still out, but in a perfect world, if Chris Reed can figure out how to snap the ball effectively, he can be your starting center. And right now I would still take Ed Ingram over Jesse Davis, even though it seems like Davis is the lock. So everything I'm hearing about Ed Ingram has me super excited so far. You know, actually that's a really interesting one because, you know, this dude was drafted in the second round. There were some things off the field. Um, there was a couple sexual assault cases from him that, that kind of dropped his stock and he had some off the field issues, but the dude was a very good player at LSU. Um, and now all of a sudden to your point, starting to turn heads in training camp, uh, you know, in a perfect world, as you just said, I probably might even like Ed Ingram more than Jesse Davis as my starting right guard, right? Like you, you potentially found another starting offensive lineman outside the first round. You know, like Ezra Cleveland, I think I know who he is, but if Ed Ingram can be even be a better player than Ezra Cleveland or even beats out Jesse Davis for the week one job, I don't think we'd rule that out. You know, we might have to start an Ed Ingram watch now for the for the rest of training camp. That's a good one, dude. Like I, I think he's been... Um, he's been awesome for the Vikings so far in training camp. And if he can really step in and, and solidify that offensive line, especially that right side, 
to your point of, of having that weak chain link, things become a lot easier. You know, he can help overcompensate for, for Garrett Bradbury, who could be struggling a little bit. So, sure. yeah, Ed Ingram, I think, is one, one to keep an eye out. You know, another one, and I don't mean this to be a, a slight that I noticed from training camp, is just how the Vikings are going to use Lewis Seen. So it looks like Cam Bynum and Harrison Smith are getting reps as the starting safeties and Lewis Seen being kind of with the second team for, for starters right now. Um, and hey, if Cam Bynum ends up actually being a stud, that's awesome. The Vikings could have three legitimate safeties. But I'm, I'm more curious to watch as, as training camp plays out, where does Lewis Seen get into the fold? Like, is, is there actually a chance that this dude doesn't even start week one for the Vikings? I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm just curious how the dude fits into the Vikings defense as training camp figures out. Because I, I, you would you would kind of hate as a fan to see like, hey, they traded back, right? The already unfortunately has like this weird asterisk around him because the Vikings traded back with a divisional foe and they made him wait four to five hours to make their make their dang pick. But at the same time, you want to see that player make an impact immediately. I think I have more of a curiosity factor after the first few, after a week of training camp trying to figure out where Lewis Seen fits into the Vikings defense. I think there's two ways that he has an opportunity. I think Ed Donatel will utilize triple safety sets. So that's one way right there. You can have Harrison Smith, Cam Bynum, and Lewisine. Also, slot corner. I wouldn't be surprised if Cam Bynum ends up being the starting slot corner, the nickel corner for this team, even though it is Chandon Sullivan's to lose. The last couple of years with Green Bay, Sullivan has been very unimpressive. So I think Cam Bynum can make that start right there to where Lewisine then becomes your starting safety opposite of Harrison Hitman Smith. So I think there's a real opportunity that he does see, see the field. And I would say starting week one, how that happens, whether that is the triple safety set or as the safety with Bynum playing slot corner is yet to be seen, but don't rule him out just yet. Randy, uh, last thoughts here before we wrap up of a uh, realistic Randy rants here on the Purple Deal YouTube channel. I just want to figure out this offensive line, man. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of talking about it. And you literally have two positions on the starting unit that are fixable, center and right guard. If you can just get competency right there with your offensive tackles, Ezra Cleveland, I'm with you. I could nitpick him right now, but at that point, I'd be getting greedy. As long as you can address center and right guard, you could actually have a legit offensive line, and that will make this team even better. Fix it. Do something about it. Please. Sign J.C. Treader. Sign him. Last words. Sign J.C. Treader. Hit the subscribe button right here on this Purple Daily YouTube channel. This is Realistic Randy Rants. Of course, subscribe to Realistic Randy's YouTube page as well. And by the way, before we die, the latest episode with Jesse, Jesse Pearson, Thor Nystrom, also dropping on this YouTube channel, your podcast feeds this evening. So please go check that out. Uh, this is for, for Realist Randy, and I'm Declan Goff. Thank you. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die. Back at full strength on Tuesday.